Hello there. Welcome to episode 77 of the Oblivious Maximus podcast. I'm Aaron Osborne. Um, Today, I'm talking to Stu from Comeback Kid and Misery Signals about Green Day and their record Insomniac. Now, if you know who I am, you know that I have almost no knowledge of anything in-depth at all with Green Day. (laughs) Uh, Obviously, other than, um, you know, standard modern era radio rock Green Day. Um, So, again, like, I jumped at the opportunity to talk about a record that I know very little about with someone who obviously loves it, um, uh, which Stu does. Um, I think... The conversation spirals a little bit as me and him both had a couple drinks throughout and start uh, just talking about other stuff and start talking about what he's been doing and what I've been doing in isolation. But, you know, we're getting through this together, guys. You know, well, some conversations might not always be as strictly about the records as I plan for them to be. Um, But it was fun to chat nonetheless. And I think, uh, you know, we had a good conversation about how this band and this record in particular informed him as a guitar player and as a person and um you know it was cool to talk about i guess my perception of a record like this and a perception of a band like this too and certainly i had thought before i heard this record that i didn't know any of the songs off it but now that i've listened to it a few times i definitely do know the songs off it and as i talk about in the episode a bit with uh from when i was a kid too um but yeah so it was fun chat um it was cool to get another opinion of how things are going elsewhere in the world. But yeah, I'm really enjoying doing these. Again, as I'm always saying now, let me know if there's a record you want me to talk about or someone you think I should talk to and I'll hit them up. Got a couple more lined up um, over the next couple of days. So keep going with them all and get them up as soon as I can. But yeah, thanks for tuning in and uh, enjoy this uh, latest episode of the Oblivious Maximus podcast with Stu from Comeback Kid talking about Green Day. Brutal! Thanks for talking to me about music. It it is my pleasure. Yeah, while we're both very busy and (laughs) (laughs) these competing schedules of sitting at home. Yeah, yeah. What time is it there? It is one o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, so you have a nice little Avro yeah. beer. Yeah, I am. This is the first for today, and I assume there'll be quite a few more on this Saturday afternoon of doing absolutely <laughs> nothing. Well, I'm drinking a, a half wine glass of whiskey. Ah, like champion. So yeah, cheers. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> All right, so you picked a Green Day record. Why did you choose this record? I did, and you know, I was a little. Uh, intimidated when i was thinking about like what i should pick because i was i figured you'd want to like talk about some grindcore record or uh, <laughs> no <laughs> something like that um i was gonna have to like trudge up my old uh, profane existence record collection and <laughs> pick a record from there um no uh why did why did i pick this record i just think it's like uh for me it's like one of the my favorite records of all time and i i think it's like a pretty important record overall in the modern climate of music or modern history of music, I guess. Okay. And is this, is this your favorite Green Day record? This is the records in some, by the way, I didn't, I didn't say what record it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, I don't think it's an unpopular opinion, but I don't think it's a, a an as popular opinion for sure. people, for Green Day fans. Well, I, I like, obvi- like, I mean, I've heard Green Day, obviously I'm not a, um, I haven't been living in a hole my whole life. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, being that I'm not someone who listens to as much punk as the other, as anyone else, for me, this record is like the first time I've heard a Green Day record where I listened the whole way through and I was like, I can listen to this. Like, which is, a, I mean, that's a good thing for me. And not, not that I don't, like, not that I, you know, outwardly dislike the band, but I guess what I'm used to knowing of Green Day is probably like, radio rock modern green day like not yeah and i i mean 
again, it's just my opinion, but I, I mean, their new stuff is pretty, it's trash, you know, like it's not, it's not <laughs> I don't think that's an unpopular opinion at all. I mean, it, it, it's all subjective, but you know, in my humble opinion, it's, yep. uh, it's pretty cheap, but anyway, still one of my favorite bands of all time. Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing I didn't, the, again, like, you know, I know who the band is. I know, you know, I know all the, the big songs, I guess, and I mean, I suppose one thing I had no idea of when I was looking this up is like, I I completely, not that I didn't know, but like, I completely forgot how old Green Day are as a band. Like, the band yeah. is very old, like for, yeah. for, I guess, in terms of like the longevity and particularly of a lineup that stayed relatively consistent for, I mean, mm -hmm. 30 years now, at least, mm -hmm. like- yeah. So for you, when when did you first hear this record? Uh, so I first I first heard this record after I purchased it from the CD store. Okay, which is kind of an odd thing to say. Yeah, but I I can't. I would have been in junior high school because yeah. it was like it was ninety five that it came out. So I graduated in in uh, the ninety nine going into two thousand. So mm -hmm. what would that that would put me in like the seventh grade? right yeah i don't know yeah. seventh or eighth grade um you know i'm good at math uh <laughs> but, me too yeah so I, I i can i can remember my mom picking me up from school and driving me to the record store and picking it up off the shelf and i wanted to get there really quick because i was like oh everybody's gonna be buying this thing it's gonna be impossible to get <laughs> you know there's like hundreds of copies of this thing sitting it's there. flying off um, the shelves the new green <laughs> But yeah, I got I got one, um, dude. Sidebar, just and this will happen a lot. I'm gonna take things off course. I'm sorry, but I later in life I worked at that record store, and the day that uh, Nickelback Silver Side Up came out, we sold 505 copies, and this was like a, like a record store in the suburbs. Like, how crazy <laughs> is that? Like, to sell 505 Nickelback CDs in one day. The pride anyway. of the pride of Canada. <laughs> yeah, fuck it. <laughs> um, but yeah. It's <laughs> So yeah, I bought that record. So the first time I heard that record would have been, I, I'm guessing, the fall of 1995. Yeah, and so were you already a fan at that point? I was a huge fan. That that band was kind of like my world at that point. Yeah. Um, the only music I had ever really heard that I was like into, um, <laughs> I had like a Spin Doctors cassette, <laughs> and I had the Phantom of the Opera double cassette. Um, you had a collector tests. Yeah. Well, this is just like shit that like I don't even know like where I was like picking this up on. I heard I heard Two Princes and I was like, yeah, I like that song, so I bought the tape, you know. <laughs> but uh um so really I and then like I had a friend who his brothers were like kind of skiddly and they had a Pantera song on a mixtape. Yeah. And then then I kind of like so I heard that and then they also listened to like Metallica, so then I heard that. And I was like, yeah, this music's cool. But then when I heard Green Day, I was like, oh, I like this more than I like this other stuff. It's still like, <clears throat> like edgy, but it's not like metallic, you know, I guess. Sure. And, and so it, there was, there was just something about it that like, that definitely like drew me to it. So I, I was, I was a big fan of Green Day at the time. They were like my favorite band. Yeah. Um, I had Dookie. I had like just missed them playing probably like the last like club show they ever would have played in that city yeah sure um so yeah yeah i was a big fan at the time when it came out when what was i guess yeah i i suppose i mean I, again i don't really know this not having grown up there but with with bands like being in canada with bands like like a green day for example was was did that move through canada in a similar way that it moved through the u.s musically was it like was that wave of like skate punk and that did that come in as hard as it did seemingly in the you know the area that those bands are from or did that sort of take a little while to catch on uh it's hard for me to say because i mean as much as i was like immersed in it when i was a teenager i was still like learning about it because i lived in like edmonton alberta which is like it's a major city in canada but it's not like hip or like ahead of the curve you know yeah, like it's yeah. very like um so but like for some reason in edmonton like there was a great punk scene when i was growing up and like all those fat records and epitaph bands would play there yeah right like so often so often so there was like a heavy stream of that coming through 
And probably about the time that I was like getting into Green Day, um, you know, some of those bands like like Strung Out and Lagwagon and stuff were definitely like coming through Edmonton mm-hmm. and and playing playing smaller venues and stuff. Yeah. So there was sort of a vibe about it there already at that time. Yeah, for sure. I think I think like you know I wasn't like on the front lines of it but i was like i was very close to like when i think that wave started kind of like coming through yeah sure and did this did this inform your you know your early guitar playing and stuff like that was that part of what drew you to playing music that way 100 percent. yeah yeah for sure yeah. i mean i think um green day aesthetically too was like a thing for me where i just thought they looked cool yeah, yeah. like you know like you know like it jumping back to like sort of like my friends were into like Metallica and stuff like that. It's like, um, I was like a little fat kid. I didn't look cool with long hair. I, I you know, I'm not going to wear like tight jeans and like a bullet be- uh, belt or something, you know, yeah, yeah. But I like that green age is like kind of dress cool. And like, they look cool. Um, so like part of what drew me to like, you know, being into them was definitely like the aesthetic as well. And then that's kind of what made me want to pick up an instrument is that was like, they look cool. And then they also like, play instruments so i guess i should play an instrument if i'm gonna be cool you know part of the um, accessory is holding the guitar <laughs> exactly yeah it doesn't matter if you can play it well as long as you look cool holding it yeah. and i've made a career off that theory. um congratulations thank you um but um yeah that's i actually started playing bass guitar okay um because you know like you know, there's always like your friend who's like, I'm going to be a fucking the singer. I'm going to be a guitar player. And like, yeah. I was kind of like last to pick, you know, so I was like, I'll play the bass. Yeah. What's <laughs> <then> left? So, <laughs> so, yeah, I wanted to play drums, but it was too noisy, you know? Yeah. So, uh, because no parent in their right mind wants their kid to have a drum kit. No. And my, my mom let me do it, but it was only the deal I had with her when I was a kid about playing drums was... She was like, you have to do one year. What I, would, I played piano when I was a kid. And she was like, you have to do one more year of piano and then I'll buy you a guitar. And once you get past guitar, then I'll let you play drums. So I did like a year of learning how to play guitar. And then I was like, basically like ticking off the days on a calendar. Like, you said I could play yeah. drums. I played guitar for a year now. Come on. Like, well, and I think her thing was like, she needed to test whether I was actually going to commit to this or- if I was just going to fail on it, you know. I have a really, like, similar, like, situation with that. Because I was a kid who, like, my dad was, like, into hockey and stuff. He wasn't, like, a, a jock or anything. But, like, he played, like, like beer league hockey on the weekends and stuff. So, like, when I was yeah. a kid, he'd be like, do you want to play hockey? And I'd be like, no. And he'd be like, okay, let's try basketball. I'd be like, I don't want to play basketball. <laughs> like, you want a fucking you want a fucking fence? I don't know. I tried fencing. Like, <laughs> shit like that. You know? So, eventually, when I was like, I want to play uh, bass guitar. My parents were like, okay, well you gotta like, so they, they did the same thing where I like took piano for like a year. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, piano sucks. I want to rock, you know? And then, <laughs> then they made me like take acoustic guitar lessons for like a year or something. Yeah. And then I was like, finally I can own a bass. And then, so my parents bought me a bass when I finished that. There you go. And, and then I played bass for like, you know, a year or two or something like trying to like be a bass player in a band. And then I was like, everybody else sucks at guitar. No one's writing music. They're on music, you know? So then I was like, I'm just going to start playing guitar. So then I just started playing yeah. guitar. One of the things I didn't realize about this, I mean, I, I knew he was like, obviously the, the members of this band are, you know, proficient at playing their instruments. But one thing I didn't recognize about Green Day in particular was, and I think it, you can hear it on this record a bit, the bass player fucking rips on this record. Like in some of the songs, he's like shredding. Like, dude hell yeah he's a fucking beast on the bass man I, I i think like overall like that band you know they're fucking awesome players but it's like the the drummer trey cool and the bass player mike durant like they dude they're a fucking rhythm section man they're yeah. fucking killer and yeah it, mike mike's got some crazy 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 bass lines on that record yeah and not not that it, he's like sh- like fucking all over the place but it's like it's tastefully written and it's oh, well yeah. executed you know and I think as well, like some, it's, I think for me, at least when listening to punk, hardcore or metal bands, when those bands actually, like when the bass player actually has like their own riff and it's not just, oh yeah, I'll just play the power chord with one note. Like when, yeah. when people do, like when people write riffs in like that, the that's great. And it complements it and it, you know, follows the kick drum pattern. Like 
that's the purpose of that instrument. Like, it's not just to follow the guitar, you know? Yeah, for sure. I've always wanted to be in a band where a bass player would be like, I got this part. And then you'd like write a song around that. Because that doesn't fucking happen. No, never. You know what I mean? <laughs> At least in my experience. No, me, me too. <laughs> well, I think, but I think the biggest thing with that too is like, I don't know that I've ever been in a band like with a bass player. Like I've always just been in a band. Like the bass player <laughs> is just a guitar player who, who's like- like, like you just saying was just like, well, everyone's pick guitar. I'll be the bass player. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Dude, the only, um, it's kind of funny, like comeback kids, last bass player, um, before our current bass player, Chase was this guy named Ron and Ron is like a fucking amazing guitar player. Like so good. Yeah. Like plays myself under the table. No problem. Which isn't that hard, but like <laughs> for, for a guy that like came into like our band and was like yeah i'll play bass but then dude he just got like super fucking sick at bass <laughs> like he just like he would like legit practice between tours and shit you know and, like where the rest of us are like going home and not touching our instruments till the next time we're on stage yeah. he's like at home like fucking like learning and like perfecting his craft you know and like by the by the end of the time that he was in the band he was like such a good bass player it's fucked well it's like whenever i think now about like um, you know, whenever I see videos of Metallica playing now, it's like that Rob Trujillo guy, he's like absolutely the best musician in Metallica. And he's like, I'm sure provided no allowance to write any music. Like he's, just, <laughs> right? like he's the most proficient person in the band and he's just, he's just there so that they have a bass player effectively. <laughs> well, you know, Fuck. lucky yeah, I mean, him. That would be a- that would be a weird ass scenario. Could you imagine if like right now you were asked to join a band with a drummer that is at the like level of Lars, you'd just be like, I, I can't like, how am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to take this? Seriously? I just, I, so the first episode I did of this was with my friend Lee from Sydney and we did and justice for all. And a good portion of us talking was like, so Lars was a good drummer at some point. Like he was, he, those first couple records is good thrash metal drumming. How is he now? Like someone's fucking drunk uncle has turned up and is just playing like <laughs> terrible beats behind like legendary metal. Like how has that happened? And how for someone that Metallica play shows every day, like how is he bad? How has he gotten worse at music? Like, Dude, I have no idea. And, like, they're a kind of band that, like, before they go on stage, he's probably, like, sitting behind a kit in the dressing room yeah. for, like, an hour being like, oh, yeah, I'm getting pumped. I'm getting pumped up. I'm getting pumped. And then he's like, it's so fucked. It's, I, like, I just don't understand. Like, if I, for me, like, going on a tour, doing, you know, recording, whatever, I feel like the best I am at guitar is, like, the day I get home. Like the the oh, day yeah. I get home, I'm Absolutely. like, man, I'm so tight at guitar now, and then I do nothing for ages. But like him, he's seemingly like every day is worse than the day before. Like it's just slowly oh, getting okay. worse. I want you, I want you right now to envision it's fucking June 2021. You're back on the stage, first show back after the coronavirus. <laughs> One full year, and you just go fucking swing <laughs> and. The- you just fucking suck because that's going to happen to a lot of people. Oh, yeah. That's, I think that was, I saw someone post the other day, like, after we come out of this, we're either going to hear some of, like, the best music ever written or the worst music ever thought of because people have had a full year of fucking around with stuff and they've just ruined it for themselves. Like Jesus Christ, man. I know. It's fucked. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, it's funny that you bring up um injustice for all and again if i'm like straying too far from what we're no, supposed no, to be talking please. about please just say that but uh so like historically i've always been like a metallica fan when it comes to the conversation of metallica versus megadeth mm-hmm. but recently i've been like going going on like a bit of a far, like a megadeth binge yeah and i kind of think megadeth's a better band man Hey, you know, I think that that argument has been made for many years. I think particularly even just basing it around like the people playing the music, like mm-hmm. and I th- but I think the biggest thing at least that I and I, it's probably relevant to Green Day as well with this though is like when these bands get so much money involved and it just and it progresses into actual pop music, like 
it's like they 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 weren't prepared to get to that point, so they don't know how to handle it. So when they get there, yeah. they're just like, oh, well, here's this fucking riff, I guess. Like this is what we're doing now, and that, like that's what a lot of that like. Yeah, yeah, and then you got some like balding asshole with a ponytail being like, "Well, see here, let's see if we take <laughs> elements of this part." Yeah, yeah. Fucking producer. Well, yeah. But like, I, and I don't know how. Like again, you know, obviously, I've never been in a position where my music has gotten that successful that some balding ponytail guy has gone, "Ah, oh, I'll help you out, guys." <laughs> like, but and I can't imagine I will get there. But at the same time, like, at what point do you just decide, like? I mean, that is it just when so much money becomes involved that companies have an investment that they basically have to go like, we need you to put out a record that's going to do better than the last one did. And like, I, I think even like when I was listening to this record, like I just was like looking up a little bit of stuff about it. But like, obviously, this record was a follow up to a record that was really successful, you know, mm. and very independently, you know, relatively independently successful as well. And then they came out with this. And, like, I would say if I just base this off a cursory knowledge of Green Day, if I listen to this record, maybe it's because it's a little bit darker, maybe. I don't know. But, like, I would prefer to listen to this now as, like, an adult person sitting and listening to it than the record before it. Because, to me, this record sounds like a very concise album. Like, it, when you press play and you go through the record, it's a record. It's not just here's a single here's two songs, here's another single, here's three songs. You know, to me, this sounds like a record that plays through very well as an album. Yeah, no, totally. And and that's kind of a crazy thing, too, is, like, when it was released, you know, it came out, like, not even that long after Dookie. It was, like, yeah, like, like 16 or 18 months after, which is, like, for, like, most bands, that's, like, you're, like, still in your record cycle, maybe, like, wrapping it up, like, touring and stuff, and they're already, like, releasing a second record under that. Yeah. Um, so it's like, it's no wonder that it wasn't as like, like, well received because I think people were still like on Dookie, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, people yeah. were still like on that record, and then like all of a sudden it's like they just have these other songs that are coming on the radio and people are just like, oh yeah, cool, <laughs> like you know, like I don't think they like, I don't think it was like as anticipated the release of the record as it possibly could have been. Yeah, right. Uh, if it had been given a little more like breathing room, but I don't know because. You know, when it came out, it's not like I was, like, aware of, like, how albums were being marketed or anything like that. Yeah. I was a little fucking kid, so, like, I wasn't thinking about it, but I don't know, yeah. But, and you're right, though. It is, like, like I put, I still listen to that record, like, really regularly. Like, not a, not, not a week. I would say not a week goes by that I don't listen to that record. Because, um, like, even, dude, it just sounds fucking good. Like, it, yeah. it's set. Like, you could put it up against any record, like, sort of, like... And I don't want to say like pop punk record because it's like what when you say pop punk now, people are like newfound glory or something like that. Like, yeah, yeah, that, that shit basically has like metal production now, you know, like, yeah, yeah. It has like it has like modern, modern music production, not raw, yeah. abrasive production or whatever. Yeah. But like the, that, like Green Day Insomniac, like the tones, everything like it just sounds like like, you know, it just sounds like their instruments just really well mic'd, really well mixed. Like it's yeah. not like. There's no, they're not like samp putting drum samples in after the fact. I mean, maybe they did. I don't know. But it's like, I it doesn't think that sound stuff like that like, at least. I think it predates that. Yeah. You know? Well, and I, <clears throat> I guess listening through it, I was like, I know some of these songs from like cursory, like I'm sure, Helmet or Matt or someone playing them when we're drunk somewhere. Like that. That's yeah. how I would know the songs, kind of thing. But then, yeah. then that song Brain Stew came on, and I was like, oh, I definitely played this on drums while like my punk friend played guitar in high school like i absolutely yeah, know that song like 100 and like i kind of almost forget that that song is on the record because it was kind of like a bigger song yeah and i don't really think of that record as having like big singles even though there's like a few there's that and like walking contradiction was like a, a single i guess and um well, but still like i i didn't really think of that record as like a chart topper you know yeah well i mean it's, it's still kind of like they're like it's like their secret good record, even though it's still a huge record. Yeah. I mean, it also, I mean, one of the other things that I sort of wrote down when I was listening to it too, is that like, it almost, it in some ways, it kind of almost sounds like a reaction to the record, to, you know, Dookie before it having poppy sort of songs on it. It seems to have a lot less of that as a, <laughs> like as an album, like it seems to be more, 
I guess, concisely drawn towards just this, the songs fitting together as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I, is another thing, too, that, like, I guess it, it chops and changes between bands. But, like, I think that's, that's where you can really hit, for me at least, when bands, like, hit their straps is when they start releasing records. They don't just have, yeah, like, four songs that are good and then they just put other songs in between them to pad out an album. Like, yeah. And that, for me, is when bands, like, really come into their own and they can go, like, you know, because I guess, and it's it's different for everyone, obviously, but for me, like, when I put on a record, I want to listen to the album. I don't just want to listen to the three good songs. If I did that, I'd put them in a playlist or something, and then that's how I'd listen to them. Um, yeah. But I'm definitely of the of the, you know, the ilk of always just playing through a record the whole way, basically. Yeah. And I mean... <sighs> I don't know how to like communicate this without like maybe sounding corny, but there's just something about the lyrics too, for the most part that like, I just like, even as like a 37 year old man now, I still like put on that record and I still like feel it. Like I still, I'm still like, yeah, fuck dude. I feel you, Billy Joe. And like, (laughs) it's like, it's like kind of weird because I have this, like, I still have like, I've, I've never met anyone in green day. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, I have like a terrible, I'm bad at meeting people that I admire, especially like <laughs> rock and rollers, you know, but it's like, yeah. um, like I always think like, Oh fuck, it would be so cool to like meet Billy Joe and be able to talk to him about his music and stuff like that. But it's like, dude, he, like in 2020, that dude is probably like, he's not going to want to talk about a record yeah. you know, that he wrote in 1994 and released in 95 or whatever, you know, yeah. like it's just not going to be the same guy. But those lyrics and stuff, like, they still they still mean a lot to me. Like, I still, in, like, this weird way, I still super relate with the man. It's still fucking, <laughs> I carry it deep in my soul. You connect with the his childhood, your childhood, and his, <laughs> his early adulthood feelings. Yeah. There's just, like, the, the element of kind of, like, snottiness and sarcasm that I, I enjoy. And Yeah, well, that's good. You got to do that. That's good. <laughs> Um, give me two seconds. I'm just going to change over on this recording thing real quick. Put it on a special effect? <laughs> yeah. Crank it up the reverb? <laughs> We're back on here. We're good. My battery change has gone successfully. Um, as a whole, like if you're looking at Green Day as a, as a band, is this the record now that sticks out of the catalog for you? Is like, this is the one every time? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And Without question. And would would you say that like... I guess, you know, it's it's kind of tricky with bands like this that do have... I mean, they do have big songs. Like, they have big, catchy pop songs, effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, is this still a record, then, that has, like, those earworms for you, then? The things that stick even, even bigger than the pop songs, maybe? Yeah, I definitely think so. Like, um, yeah, I, I don't think there's a song on that record that isn't, like, is it that doesn't have like a hook that doesn't yeah. like stay with you. Like, um, especially like if you just listened to it, you know, recently and you said like, you're not very familiar with it. I'm sure there's gotta be something that's stuck in your head there. Oh I mean, yeah, like- absolutely. But, and, and I think, I think the, like that tightwad Hill, that song for uh-huh. me, that, that was like the song that stood out for me on it as like, that felt the most like hookiest. And, and I definitely like, I listened to it at nighttime while I was cooking and then mm-hmm. when I woke up the next morning, I still had, like, the hook in my head when I was in the shower kind of thing. Yeah. And, like, for me, when that happens, that's, like, again, sometimes that's not the signifier of a good song. It's just a signifier of, like, a catchy sure. chart. But, you know, because often, often I'm just, you know, Smash Mouth is just constantly in my brain or something. And it's, <laughs> it's not that I've actively True. chosen that. True. <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't know. I, for me, especially, like, the first three songs stick out. Yeah. Um, I can remember seeing, like, before the record came out, Green Day played, like, a MTV Music Award or something yeah. show. And they played uh, the third track on the record called Stuck With Me. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just, like, a cool-ass bass line in the beginning and stuff like that. And just stuff stuff like that sticks out to me. I, and, I mean, there's probably a level of nostalgia um, that accompanies or that, like, sort of, like, you know, um, helps with me still being so into the, this record that, you know, to the point that I am still. Yeah. Um, 
Does but, yeah. it, does, is this is this record as well? Like, I mean, I think the other thing that I've been <coughs> chatting to people about with these records is people are seemingly picking, which is which is good. Like, I mean, when, when I sort of asked people, like I did with you, I just said, like, just pick a record you really like. And often people are picking, it seems that people are picking things that have, like, not just like the music on it, but have this, like, you know, some sense of, like, a special place in terms of how they exist musically or something like that, you know? Like- oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I think, I mean, is this something for you that, I mean, even playing music now and writing music now, is there parts of this that still influence what you do, you think? 100%. Yeah. Like, like all the time. I mean, and I think, like, whether it's a good or bad thing, uh, I think what, whenever I'm writing music for, you know, you know, Comeback Kid is more of a hardcore band, and then Misery Signals is, you know, somewhere between a metal band and uh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but like, I find like when I'm writing music, a lot, of, a lot of the music I write is like pretty melodic, and I think a lot of that stems from, you know, listening to bands like Green Day and stuff coming up on bands like that. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was learning. You know, when I was uh, cutting my teeth, buddy, I, uh, you know, I was spending more time on these sort of like progressions and songs as a whole, rather than writing like a really sick notey riff or something, you know? Yeah. Um, does that, does that make sense? Like, yeah, I yeah. Think, and, I think, and I think that still is like a huge part of the way I write songs now. It's not so much about like, you know, this cool guitar lead or like something like that. It's about like the song as a whole and like where you can make this chorus yeah. kick butt, you know, like being able to put like a good chorus in a song um, and something that like feels good, like a progression that feels good as opposed to just like thrashing it out and being like, I can fucking play a hundred notes in <laughs> nine seconds, motherfucker. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't, and I don't know if that's how you feel as a guitar player, but I mean, for me, and I don't know if it comes from playing drums and stuff like that, but like, I mean, I'm fucking, I'm no use at all at like, I mean, I'm no use at, like, playing solos and things like that. Like, I can play leads if I learn to play them or if I if I write a lead part, I can play it. But for me, my thing is, like, I like the riff. Like, I, I want that. That's the part that I want to be cool. And that's the part that I'm good at contributing to, you know. I'm mm-hmm. And, like, I mean, I can, you know, you can fi- I can figure harmonies out or I can figure little high parts out. But for me, like, even, yeah, again, like, a, a song like that brains you that's just choppy riffing like over and over and over again that's a fucking hook that you can remember like you don't it doesn't need to be like it doesn't need to be ripping up and down the fretboard or it doesn't need to be confusing you to listen to it it can just be like real bass level but it's catchy you know and that's what that's what you want dude and that's another crazy thing like when you mentioned that like going back to talking about this record more like even right out the gate just a little drum fill that hooks you in yeah and and then that 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 first song you know it's just like two riffs you know yeah, like yeah. it's it's like two progressions through the whole song you know there's not really like or there might be like a third part or something but you know there's nothing flashy about it and it's just like but it's just kind of relentless and just topples over and fucking yeah. bangs you in the head and it, it rocks you know well i think that's a funny thing now as well about <clears throat> no, i don't think it's like outwardly you know a problem or anything but i do feel like it it the way a lot of people progress in bands, at least in, I suppose, like modern punk and hardcore and metal and stuff like that is their progression is always like either adding parts to what they did before or making what they did before, like more difficult as progression, as opposed to progressing the quality of the songs that they're writing, which is what I think progression you know, should look like, you know, if you see bands that if for me, like a record, every band's next record gets better. It's not just cause they've put 10 more parts on top of what was there beforehand. It's the part that was sick before has just developed into a better part, you know, like, or, yeah. or something that's catchier or easier to hook into your brain or whatever. I hear you. And that, that's kind of like a challenge when, when you're writing music, I think is, um, your perception of, what you think people expect your music to sound like. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I find that to be a struggle quite often, actually. Um, and I'm, I'm sure I'm sure in Comeback Kid, that's probably a challenge. 
Dude, it's a nightmare with Comeback Kid because I was a fan of Comeback Kid before I was in the band. Right. And they arguably put out, like, their best music before I was in the <laughs> band. <laughs> so, uh, you know, like, when we go to write stuff, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that I offer up or demos and, and things that I do, um, I try to, like, and it's, like, intentional. Like, I'll try and write shit where I'm like, it'd be sick if it sounded like this song from that record. And then I'm like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you can't like, just like copy the band songs you're in and like, <laughs> you know, pawn them off as new songs from that band. But I guess on the same token of, with what we're talking about, like maybe that's not a bad thing. I don't yeah. know. Well, I mean, it's a- I, I think, I mean, I certainly, I haven't really joined a band and then taken over or, had to really actively start trying to change how things are written. Like generally speaking, the bands that I've played and I've either been with since the start or once I've joined, it's sort of naturally collectively turned that way. Like, um, but I think for me, something with that too is like, I, I feel like my, you know, what, what I can bring to something needs to come out of what I like about it. So if what you like about it is this old, the old parts of it, then that's what's going to inform what you're going to try and create anyway. You're not going to just try and change it and make it a completely new band or something like that, you know? Well, dude, like, one thing that was pretty fucking crazy and is still kind of crazy at this very moment is, like, um, we've been been working on a Misery Signals record now for, like, like six years. Yeah. And so, like, the last record that I wrote with Misery Signals was in we recorded it in 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we toured that record for a couple of years. I was out in like 2010 and then I started playing with the guys again in like 2014. Um, between 2008 and 2014, they released a record called absent light. And that record is like easily like without argument, like the heaviest record that yeah. your signals have done. Um, and like, I, you know, a big part of that is like, I would assume is that I wasn't writing some of the songs, you know, because <laughs> they, like, they just have like some like really like really heavy, heavy stuff on that record. That's like pretty like spooky and dark. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so we've been writing, we wrote this, this new record, um, which I can't, t- I can't tell you the title of bro. Cause it's not, <laughs> we haven't put it out there yet, but it is titled. Um, but, uh, so, and but like, I'll tell you more about this, but anyway, so we, we, uh, we, been, we started writing this thing in like 2015 or end of 2014 started throwing some ideas together. And like one of the, the craziest things is like, you know, I, I know what misery signal sounds like. Cause I was in the band for like 10 years and I wrote, you know, three records with the band. Mm-hmm. Um, but like now there's this, this last record they put out that is just like really like crushing and heavy. And I'm like, fuck, like I don't really write shit like that. Um, so you know, it's been, it was like a bit of a challenge to like write shit for this record because there was like, you know, I'll just write shit that I think is cool. And then I'm like, one, one kind of rule of thumb I always have, if something seems weird, you can't like write it off until you hear the singer of the band sing on it. Sure. Because I feel like a lot of the times, like a lot of the time, like a a vocalist really like defines a band sound. So it's like, I think so too. You know, like you could take like, any weird song and have Andrew from comeback kids sing on it. And it w- will probably still sound like a comeback kid song. Sure. So that was kind of like my, um, thought going into writing this, this misery signals record was like, okay, well just like write stuff I want to write. And then hopefully like Jesse singing on it, will just like tie it all together and make it sound like misery signals. Sure. And I mean, I think that has worked. Yeah. Um, uh, the record is done. It's like, we're just doing like mixed tweaks now. And yeah. it's just like, it's just taking forever. I mean, in like a weird, uh, like bad, but good way. This coronavirus stuff is like kind of cool. Cause it's like, <laughs> but it's like a, a little bit more time. Cause we were, we're kind of have the record out for like these tours in May. Yeah. Um, but now those tours are going to be postponed. So it's like, Oh, we got, we got like a grace <laughs> period. We got sure some more time of our sleeves here. Yeah. <laughs> is that, um, is that something that's been, I mean, obviously it's been brutally affecting everyone, you know, having to cancel things, but like, has that, <clears throat> has that thrown a lot of plans out for you guys for the rest of the year? Oh my God, dude. Yeah. It's <laughs> fucked. 
like I said, I was supposed to go to Asia like two days ago. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it sucks. Like we had this like Hammersonic festival. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, with like Slipknot and fucking yeah, massive black flag dude. Oh man. You're missing out now. <laughs> Mike Volelli probably singing. <laughs> the Mike singer, Volelli. Mike Volelli. <laughs> Some weird dudes. Um, but yeah, we were supposed to do that thing. And then, uh, yeah, there was a couple like misery signals tours. We had to cancel like a, a run with darkest hour. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I think, you know, we're going to have to cancel this stuff in May. Um, Comeback Kid's supposed to do this fucking punk and drawback tour, which is like, which is like a fucking Your like, dream, dream tour for me, dude. It's like no effects and Pennywise and fucking, we had like a bad religion off date, like in a stadium in, in fucking Portugal or something like, yeah, dude, yeah it was, this year was going to be like sick. Like I remember thinking like, fuck yeah, dude, 2020 is going to be so fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, it's like, everything is falling apart in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> well, literally I mean, everything that, that was like every day something is just crumbling oh yeah and i mean i i, I mean kind of had the same thing here it was like you know i mean i i saw you the the first minute of the the first day of this year but like you know i was like True. i was like oh you know this fucking what a ripper start everything's great and then like <laughs> went home for like a month and then it was like oh no everything's fucked you live at home now you don't go outside anymore <laughs> Dude, it is fucking crazy. And, like, I absolutely do not want to be insensitive or downplay, like, yeah, how terrible this is on a global scale. But, like, man, I want to go on fucking tour of no effects. This is fucking <laughs> bullshit. I'm fucking pissed, man. Um, yeah. I suppose that that's another thing. I think maybe you and me, like, briefly talked about it here. But, like, I, another thing that's interesting for for me with Comeback Kid as well is like how you guys have seemingly like almost transitioned a lot into playing with a lot of these kind of bands now, like from like playing a lot of these like like no effects shows and like doing booking things with like Bad Religion and stuff. Like, is that something that consciously was a decision for the band, or do you think that just sort of naturally happened over time? Um, I mean. I will speak from like my perspective. I, I can't speak for the band as a whole. Yeah. Um, but I think like comeback kid is kind of crazy in the sense that like, you know, in the like mid two thousands, I think a lot of people like related with the sound in the hardcore scene. It really resonated with like what was going on. Yeah. And I think like any other scene, like things evolve and things change. And I, I, I think that maybe the, the sound that comeback kid has isn't the most appealing these days to like, you know, what's hip and hardcore or whatever. Um, so it wasn't like a, it's not a conscious decision to do that, but I just think like some of these like other bands, like punk bands and stuff, you know, they, they like dig what comeback kid does. And, and I think like we can kind of fit in playing with those bands as, as much as we can, you know, playing with like terror or something. Yeah. Um, and you know, we, Comeback Kid have like done our rounds with with you know a lot of like hardcore bands like Terror and Stick to Your Guns and um, the Ghost Inside and bands like that and it's like um it's it's cool to do something different sometimes you know yeah, like yeah. we uh, we 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 went we went and did um in Florida they in Gainesville they do a fest every year yeah. um and we went down and did fest like two years ago and that was fucking awesome we loved it. And we were like, oh, this is dope. Like these like beardo punk dudes are like into us. That's, that's rad. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we like, maybe that's like previous summer to that. We did a punk rock holiday, um, in Europe. And it was like, you know, we were playing with like no fun at all. And like, um, I can't even remember who else fucking played, uh, like mad caddies and shit, but it was like, you know, it, it goes over well. And then, you know, we've just had like these weird random festivals that we like play with Lagwagon. We've played with Lagwagon a few times now and like, um, yeah, no effects and stuff. And yeah, I don't know. I, it, it's, it's cool. I dig it. And like, I, I'm, I'm into it. Like I'm happy to be able to like not be cornered into like only being able to tour a certain kind of bands. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's the thing. Like we like in flames does like this festival and like a castle yeah. called like, board board briner or something and it's like it's like curated by in flames 
And like, again, like a couple summers ago, it's like the singer from in flames is like, I love comeback kid, man. I just had to have you guys on this festival. And it's like, that's fucking sick. And then, yeah. you know, like we've got like fat Mike, like you guys want to do punk and drop? Like, it's like, fuck. Yeah. Like you got the guy from in flames. You got the guy from no effects. <laughs> and then it's like, you know, and then we still get to do cool shit every now and again with bands like Terra and stuff. And it's like, fuck yeah that's sweet that's sweet for us i love that well yeah i mean i think i think you know for me the other thing too is just like i think if you are enthusiastic about just playing music in general and this is what you want to get out of i mean you know it obviously music is performance based for a reason like you get in front of people and it's fun to you know do the thing that you're artistically creative with but I mean, I, I've I've always been one of the the kind of person as well that's just like, unless you actively think something is shit, you may as well go and do it because it could be the greatest thing ever, you know. Like, yeah. and you got yeah, like, to yeah. take those opportunities as well too. Because I mean, yeah, the other, I think a, a thing uh, I feel like a lot of people. I mean, it, it happens. It seems to happen quite consistently in Australia because it's quite condensed, I suppose, and a bit smaller in terms of the scope of things, just because there's less people here. But there's, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of people get very stuck on like, I just got to keep playing same venues, same shows kind of thing. Whereas, I mean, every band I'm sort of actively been a part of is just like, if the thing sounds cool and it's going to be fun, you have to go and do it. Like, those are the rules. Yeah. <laughs> like, Hell yeah. But I, I think, I think like, if you're not doing those things, then why are you doing this? Mm. You know, why, why bother? Like, I didn't come into a band to like, or I didn't start playing music or start touring to like, not trying to experience that's like that's like the whole point of all this is to like get out there and do cool shit you know so like yeah. why why be like oh no i don't want to fucking do that tour because these guys music sounds stupid to me or something like i don't know <laughs> i'm just talking out of my ass now but like i don't know like one thing that sticks out to me like um and they're not like they're friends of ours we're not like extremely close with them but um i know like the guys in stick your guns have done like multiple tours with that band motionless and white. Yeah. And I remember like the first time I saw that, I was like, man, that is weird. But then, you know, like I talked to those guys and they're like, dude, they're like really nice guys. We get along with them. Well, they want to take us on tour. They're like into our band and like their, their crowd is into it. Like, and it's great for our band. So why wouldn't we do it? And I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, fucking a makes sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I think, I think that that's been another thing for me too with I mean, when I started playing music, I started playing in, you know, in death metal bands in Canberra years and years and years ago. And I remember the first I was- What was like, it called? Um, there was a band that I was in called Reign of Terror. Um, you can Sick. You can look that up. Um, they're still a band, believe it or not. And I, when I joined, I was like 14 years old. And I think the singer was 30 when I was 14. <laughs> and they're still playing. So, g- good on him for doing it. Um, he's, he's 75 years old now. Yeah. <laughs> He's actually a wizard at this point. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but like I started doing that and then uh, I, I like alien- it alienated a lot of people from me because friends of mine started a hardcore band and they needed a drummer and I was the drummer. So, I started playing drums in a band, you know, like a melodic hardcore band and I didn't really listen to the music, but I liked what we were playing together and- mm-hmm. I, you know, had fun doing it. And then that effectively is what then pushed me into everything else I have now done. And all those guys that I was playing music with that didn't go and do that, just kept playing death metal. Now, none of them listen to music. They all work office jobs. And like, I mean, other than the, the guys from Rand of Terror, for example, who are still yeah. playing the same shows 40 years later. But the, the other, like my other like friends from school and stuff that I was playing music with, like, none of those guys play music anymore and yeah. that's you know that's nothing there's nothing against them for for making that decision but at the same time like i just joined a band with my other friends that played hardcore and it was great and then that has led me to now having been relatively consistently playing music since i was 13 years old kind of thing like yeah where everyone else kind of just cut it off as soon as school finished so it's 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 kind of a wild thing in that sense like you know i think about like the first dudes that I ever jammed with, the first dudes that I ever like played in a band with when we were in like junior high school and like, A, I don't know where two of those dudes are. <laughs> I have no fucking idea. But uh, I definitely know they're not playing a fucking kick-ass punk band touring or anything or, yeah. you know. Um, 
but it, it is it is super weird that like if you i guess it's just like you have to take a risk and you have to take a chance and you like and i use the word sacrifice lightly but you have to be willing to make these sacrifices if you're if that you know is as small as alienating yourself from certain friends by playing with other friends or whatever you know it's kind of like you got to kind of do your own thing if you want to um sort of not see six find success in this but i guess like you just got to take chances to, to to try different experiences right you gotta like yeah. get out there and play with different people and yeah yeah well um if this would this, <laughs> you're like yeah yeah all right no sure, no, no sure. i'm just i'm just trying to think of like how to how to tie this off without you and me just talking about our first bands for the, the rest of this conversation. Fair um what where with um with the way coronavirus is treating us, obviously things have had to be cancelled, but what what's like what is the the potential future plans that you got coming up? So obviously this misery signals record. Yeah, okay. Well dude, just to jump back quickly, one more thing about Please. Green Day. So they're doing this like Fall Out Boy Green Day. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're doing that here too. And uh, so, as we talked about earlier, I was like, I've never met anyone in Green Day. Well, fuck. So, Fall Out Boy's on that tour. Yes. Drummer from Fall Out Boy, Andy, is like a friend of mine, and his drum tech is Brandon, the drummer from Misery Signals. <laughs> so I'm like, fuck. If there's ever a time is that it? I'm gonna like fucking maybe meet someone in Green Day, it's gonna be when I go to this show. Well, fuck. That's probably gonna be canceled now too. So, <laughs> 2020 fucking so that was fucking me over that was what you had planned for the rest of the year that's <laughs> what i had planned man it's fuck oh lordy uh no okay so yeah i mean this year yeah a lot of things kind of fell fell through but i mean um the misery signals record is like like i said like i'm i'm literally like waiting for a text right now from the oh i might even have it nope um from the mixer to be like yo the the mix is up for you to check out yeah so hopefully it'll be that should be out sooner than later it's going to come out this year no matter what um we did that we did like we tracked like 13 songs two are going to be on a split with a couple other cool bands uh and then we're going to do the full length um comeback kid we're starting to talk about working on a new record uh hopefully we'll like record that within the year i would assume yeah sick um, and then yeah, just we'll try and do some touring. I hope I hope Misery Signals will come come back down to Australia sometime yeah. soon, sooner than later. Well, you know when the borders open, mate, we'll when, welcome when you right back in. Free. When we're rolling a free. <laughs> yeah, sick. All right. Well, thank you um, for doing this with me. I think I'm probably just going to be asking people over time to do more conversations with me about other records so that. I don't lose my mind in, in this house, <laughs> but you know, we'll see how we go. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm sorry we didn't touch too, too much on the actual record. I mean, I guess we did. We did. We did a couple fingers in, but that's, that's the point of conversations, mate. You just let them go. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lock true. you into green day. That's true. That's true. That's fine. All right, mate. All right, well, thanks for having yourself on my podcast. Well, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs>